This audio file is a production of Chiasmos, the University of Chicago's international and area studies multimedia outreach source. For related audio and video, or for more information about the project, please visit chiasmos.uchicago.edu or internationalstudies.uchicago.edu. here at International House. I want to welcome you to International House and tonight to tonight's program, which is part of uh, the World Beyond the Headlines uh, series here at International House. This is a collaborative project with the Chicago University of Chicago Center for International Studies, the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, and the Seminary Co-op Bookstores, with support from the McCormick Tribune Foundation. The program aims to bring scholars and journalists together to consider major international news stories and how these stories are covered. Uh, tonight's program is also part of um, a week-long series of programs um, uh, under the banner Displacement Week. Um, and I'd like to just uh, point out to you the next uh, program in the series tomorrow evening, Thursday, February 28th at 6 p.m. Uh, there will be a forum on the University of Chicago and its surrounding communities with Susan Campbell of the Office of Community and Government Affairs, um, as well as other representatives. Uh, tonight's program uh, is with uh, Nira Adarkar. She has been active in the women's movement for 20 years. She is a practicing architect and urban researcher and visiting faculty member in the Academy of Architecture in Mumbai. She is also a founding member of Majlis, a legal and cultural center. She is one of the conveners of the Girgan Baushau Andalan Save Girgan Movement, and she is based in Mumbai. Um, so uh, I will let her introduce um, her topic and um, and then a brief update on on the um, the program tonight. We had um, hoped to have two speakers, but um, but um, I understand there was a, um, a an, an accident involved, and the other speaker is not able to join us. So um, Nira, welcome. Thank you, Dennis, and good evening, friends. Um, yes, uh, our, this visit was to be a joint visit with my dear friend and my co-author, uh, with whom I have done this book called 100 Years and 100 Voices. That's an oral history of the mill workers of the textile district of Mumbai. Unfortunately, just before her departure, she met with an accident and uh, she broke her left arm. Uh, luckily, there was no uh, other major injury, but this broken arm is going to, you know, she has to undergo the surgery and then she will be uh, perhaps bedridden for a month or so. But, uh, and she was very keen on coming here and in fact, both of us wanted to do it jointly. Uh, we are, uh, both of us are involved in the um, 
workers' movement, especially in the field of textile industry. Textile industry of Mumbai is, uh, was the economic backbone of the city. And therefore, it is very important. I'll then show you the images. I can talk a little more about that. I am from uh, Mumbai, Bombay, and I was just telling Samip that I'm born, brought up, and addicted. So uh, I am involved in a couple of um, urban movements which are happening right now. Our city is undergoing transformation, and our political leaders and bureaucrats and planners and policy makers, we are, are really dreaming of the transformation and the model you know, in front of them is sometimes Singapore, sometimes Shanghai, sometimes Dubai, so it, you know, it changes every time. Uh, unfortunately, these, uh, we feel that there is no comprehensive uh, you know, planning or uh, uh, decision-making process which is being followed. And uh, I'm going to talk about uh, three uh, locations in the city uh, which are undergoing very fast transformation and therefore leading to uh, gentrification and displacement. So these three locations, one is of course the textile industry, and they are in the various stages of transformation. Textile uh, district is already halfway through the transformation and the gentrification has started, the displacement has also started. The second location is a large slum settlement which is called Dharavi and uh, that is the largest continuous slum in Asia. And it is becoming internationally known and for the first time <clears throat> our government has allowed uh, you know, foreign investment in the real estate. And uh, uh, I will talk about that because that the uh, the, the bids are already floated and within a couple of months uh, the work can start. But I'll, I'll talk about the problems and, the, and the, the lack of planning. And third is uh, ACZ, it is special economic zone which is not in the city, just outskirts of the city. And uh, they also want to call it special entertainment zone and it's a cluster of islands just uh, as I told you, outskirts of the city and uh, the people are now coming together. It is still in the planning stage or not even planning stage, it's just a proposal and uh, it's, it is hopefully the people will build a strong movement against it and I'll tell you why and so on. Uh, so shall we just start with, I'll start with the mill lands and anytime if you want to ask questions you can just uh, stop me. Because I have to cover these things in half an hour, so I'll probably just rush in. I, did, I don't want to only focus on the mill lands, although that is my favorite topic. So, yeah, next weekend. Okay, this is the city of Mumbai, and sorry, I have no pointer, and uh, you can show perhaps some. Uh, the city of Mumbai is the island city, what you see in yellow there is the island city which was the mainly uh, seat of colonial power and then the suburbs started expanding. These were next. Uh, city was actually seven islands 
and why I want to uh, tell you that is that this what you see the uh, you know the marshy land or the, uh, the the sea in between was ultimately you know reclaimed and this reclamation has happened of course by the government the colonial government but the reclamation is also happened by people so people have themselves reclaimed the land and so most of the poor settlements the slum settlements all on this uh, land which are reclaimed by the people and otherwise the land which is reclaimed by the government you have a lot of formal housing. Next. This is just a glimpse of the, you know, uh, the city which has the colonial monuments. Next. And then of course it goes through the phase of art deco and so on. Next. Then this is where uh, the area which is, you know, more for the trading community which migrated from different parts of India, not different, actually from Gujarat and Rajasthan, the trading community migrated. This, this city was not livable, you know, marshy land, a lot of mosquitoes and so on. So finally the government had to, when the government decided to make it into a port, the British government, and then the industrial city, they actually invited people from Gujarat and uh, the labor from the hinterland to come and start the industry. Next, yeah. So this is the this. I just gave, gave you a glimpse of the, the built environment to see how it starts from colonial to working class areas. Next, and of course this is what is happening today. That uh, the which was a you know which was a port now is recasting itself as a global metropolis, and somehow you know the idea of global city, the first class city, whatever it is only limited to these kind of you know, uh, the built forms in steel and uh, glass. Next. Yes, and, and somewhere it is assumed that deindustrialization is a prerequisite for, you know, to enter the, the era of globalization. Next. So this was, uh, as I told you, it was an important port and then cotton trade and then it became a manufacturing sector. Next. 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 Yes, this is how the uh, area looked uh, about, say, five years ago. And as I told you, it, the textile industry was the economic backbone of the city. I mean, the entire, whatever the industries which came after the textile industry were basically, were, were uh, you know, uh, the investment came from the textile industry. So most of the textile mill owners Whatever profit they got from the textile industry, then they started pharmaceutical engineering and so on. And that's why we say that this is the backbone. Next. And this is how the same area looks, you know. And, and the skyline is changing very fast. What you see in the foreground are working class housing. Uh, we've already heard that there is an American investor who's a inve uh, 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 real estate developer who's interested in developing this entire area. And this has become now a very prime location. Next. Next. This is the, uh, what you see here is are the mills. Uh, uh, what is special about the textile industry is that these mills, there were 70 mills now, till recently there were, there were 58 mills, but they are in close proximity. So that's why it becomes a district. Next. And there were about 250,000 workers in 1980, and then you can multiply the number of, uh, you know, the family members and so on. Next. Next. 
this is just to show that it is not not the area doesn't become important because of the mills only there are other lands and you know it as as you can see it's really the heart of the city next this is the easter waterfront which is which you see in yellow that is again another area which is eyed by the developers somehow it is still protected by the federal government but um, soon i think that will, that will be open for the land grab next Next, uh, this because the city is linear and because it is in the heart, uh, the excitement. It, it has got excellent infrastructure. The infrastructure was again it came up because the neighborhood evolved and the neighborhood which consisted of the mill workers. Next, so there are uh, important railway lines and important roads which are passing through this area. Next. Yeah, so we always feel that this offers a window to the political, economic and social history of the Mumbai city because we feel that it is actually the textile industry, the evolution of the neighborhood, the evolution of various cultural and social institutions has given the identity to Mumbai. Next. So this is the uh, that area enlarged and this is only to, to show you the uh, rich infrastructure. The purple areas are all the mills. Then there are, uh, it's surrounded by all the you know, residences of the textile workers. And then the infrastructure and the, you can see lots of green areas, very high density housing, uh, if you see the housing, they are very, you know, um, congested. But they are always around some open space or the other. And then there are various social institutions which are mapped here. I'm not going into those details now. Next. This is a glimpse of how the textile mills, the industrial architecture looked. Next. 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 And there is a heritage movement in our city and uh, there are quite a few heritage monuments which are protected. Unfortunately, this industrial architecture was never part of the list. It's only because of um, our insistence that uh, the list includes these uh, uh, mills. But unfortunately, before the legislation came, it was very easy for the mill owners and the developers who had already you know, purchased the mills to demolish most of what you've seen. Next. Next. Yeah, so as I said, it involved social institutions, they fought great political battles, they entertained and educated the city with their plays, music, words, and then influenced the economy, politics, and culture of the city. Next. So what is important is, is two-thirds of city's labor was employed in the textile industry, and that's why it's importance again. Next. Next, these are the working class, uh, you know, housing, sometimes built by the uh, private uh, landowners, sometimes by the mill owners, because mill owners wanted the labor, and they, and they wanted the labor from the surrounding uh, towns and villages to come, and therefore the mill owners said that, fine, we will build housing for you, but please come and work for us. Next. 
and you can see the uh, you know it, it's a very vibrant area it's a very vibrant community and as i said there are many social uh, cultural institutions there are uh, troops theater troops uh, performing artists next 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 these were uh, it's interesting this one institution which is economic institution as well as social because there were so many migrants and migrants were single migrants they didn't bring their families initially so then some families which were already settled these women started private dining spaces for them and they were not just private dining spaces but they became a, a, a place for cultural and social interaction as well so there would be mill workers who would come to this house to eat and uh, you know and then they they would talk about their villages they they would have their own village uh, groups emerging from there next it it is a very important uh, textile uh, yeah next textile um, uh, union uh, is a very important and it, during that time during 1930s to 60s 70s it uh, it was kind of a showcase for the international communist movement because the communist trade union here was extremely strong and it was uh, it kind of became an example for many other uh, industrial uh, unions and here you will see that there are quite a few women participating it is and i personally think it's mainly because the proximity of the place of work and the place of residence so it was very convenient for women to be not only part of the wage labor um, market but also part of all the militant struggles which happened whether the militant struggles were for their pay for the working hours for maternity benefits even freedom struggle during the freedom struggle there was a large contingent of women textile workers who participated and then there was again a linguistic struggle for the formation of our state of maharashtra next next as i said there were internet because this was a communist trade union it had they had international links and here you see the uh, the bar the you know one of the prominent singers of this area with pablo neruda so it was as i said the networking was excellent next next so it was in 80s that the industry started declining and uh, because as i said the profits were diversified into other industries and then there was real estate the, the mill owners realized that there was so much profit in selling up the land and you know uh, redeveloping it but the because these lands were leased out to these uh, owners there was there, there was no change of user allowed so there as per the legislation of the city there are uh, the city has development plans and then this area was protected protected in two ways that you cannot change the user it has to be a textile industry and secondly the far that is the built up uh, what far is a term used here mm, uh, okay okay so what is the allowable built up area if you have a plot how much do you build so if you have to if the far is 1 which means floor area ratio if far is 1 then if you have 100 square feet then you can only build 100 square feet building whether you build it in 10 story or 1 story it doesn't matter as long as you keep enough open space so that far was restricted only to 0.5 but it so happened that the mill owners put pressure on the government saying that we don't want to run the mills the mills are uh, Uh, you know a burden on us so give us the permission to develop next 
and they started closing down the mills. So, uh, sir, what do we talked about? Uh, so they demanded a change in development control regulation. So for the first time in 1991, the government allowed the mill owners to develop the <coughs> mill land. But at the same time, there was the the textile uh, workers were very strong, and uh, then it, the loss of livelihood, at least at that time, uh, was anticipated, and the government put some restrictions. Next, so under that uh, change of rule, the closure of mills were allowed. But the, and the change of user from industrial to commercial residential were also allowed. The floor space index was increased, so the uh, the mill owners got the benefit, but they had to, uh, in return, they had to share some land with the city, which means the government and uh, some of the well-known architects like Charles Correa were part of that committee, and uh, it was decided that one third of the land would be given to the mill owners. One third would be for the open spaces which are required for the city and one third would go for public housing. So one third for public housing, one third for public open space and one third for the mill owner. But the mill owner was not a loser because he was getting the development rights of the public areas. Only thing is his space was one third but he could build as if he would have built on the entire site. Next. So this was the division, one third for the owners, city amenities and public housing. And uh, I forgot to mention, but this the total area of the mills is about 600 acres or about 280 hectares. Next. Uh, we as part of, and this is the time when I entered the picture because the uh, some of our friends who were in the uh, trade union movement and they came to us saying that you are architects, so please help us because we don't understand these divisions and we don't want the mills to close down. And then uh, we had series of meetings with the workers and we realized that what the government has missed out was on the alternative means of livelihood. In the sense the mill owner was allowed to develop residential commercial but what happens to the mill owners because they are skilled industrial workers, they are not white collar workers, it was not possible for them to get jobs there. So we had on, on behalf of the workers we submitted another alternative plan saying that whatever the mill owner share at least 30%, 50%, whatever you decide has to be reserved for a manufacturing industry. It could be low polluting, high tech, whatever it is but the the next generation of the workers at least should have uh, access to uh, you know, manufacturing livelihood. And the, uh, uh, from the public housing uh, quota, 50% of the uh, housing should be reserved for the textile workers. In the sense, it was not free housing, but the land would be given to them. They would build or the government would build and they, the workers would pay the cost. Next. Somehow the mill owners did not accept this and for a long time they kept on pressurizing the government to make a modification because they were not happy that they had to uh, share their land. And by then the real estate industry was so uh, you know, lucrative in the city and the island city as you see it is uh, it's a linear city and uh, South Bombay is you know, the most commercial and uh, rich area. This is immediately working class area which was always looked down upon for uh, almost a century suddenly becomes very important and the mill owners put pressure on the government to say that no, no, you please change this, we cannot share the land with the public. Next. And government did a, a, a trick uh, 
I don't know how many of you will uh, understand because it is it's what the government. Okay, instead of going to that, let me just tell you that in a very clever manner, the government changed the rule in such a way that the Milono share became so much, and you can see the public housing and public uh, open space share is reduced drastically. Next. So if you see actually the mill, say for example this is Piramal mill and you see the what open space would have been and what uh, Mada is public housing and green is public amenities and suddenly with the change of rule it reduces so much. I am just telling you in one uh, sentence, how does it happen? It is the earlier rule said one third of the entire land. The modification in 2001 says, just adds one line, you see that bottom line there, that division of spaces before demolition, which means the, mill, the, the land is occupied by the structures. So you deduct those structures and only the strips of open spaces you divide into three parts. So that was a trick and it doesn't mean that the, uh, that the structures won't be demolished. The structures would be demolished, but the open space calculation would be as if the structures were not demolished. And it was such a clever move that I have to admit that it took some time to actually, you know, realize the trick. So it's the mill workers and that's the time the, we realized that the nexus is not only of the politicians and the mill owners and the real estate, but the bureaucrats were also using their acumen to, you know, uh, make changes in the uh, legislation. Next. Next, this is another example. Next. So overall what you see here, if the green spaces and the brown spaces would have been like this if the earlier rule was to be implemented. But next, but now it is like this. You can see just the specks of green and this. Next. So now most of these uh, mills are demolished and they are open spaces like this and the new structures which are coming up you can see next. So this is how the new, uh, suddenly this is now getting gentrified and you have, uh, this is a five star hotel which is coming up there, this is mill getting demolished, next. So what happens to the mill workers, the mill workers have lost their jobs and then now they are, so it's displacement from livelihood and now it's displacement from the neighborhood as well. And then from the formal sector, this was a, as I told you, this, this jobs of, um, I mean it was in the formal sector, but now they have to go into informal sector and they become vegetable vendors or you know this person who was a skilled worker has to do some kind of a home based economic activity. Next. So the hopes to revive cities open space was demolished. Then the land which was to become available for affordable housing is given back to the mill owners. While 60% of Mumbai's population continues to live in slum. So this area would have been extremely important for a formal housing. And change of land uses from industrial to commercial means loss of jobs. Next. Now there was a very strong struggle put up by not only the mill uh, workers but the city as a whole. And for the first time, the city's groups, which are environmental groups, non-government organizations, housing activists, and the working class people came together. It had not happened earlier. I must tell you the scenario in Mumbai is the environmentalists are mainly the activists, you know, who talk about clean Mumbai, you know, clean, beautiful, and so on. But they cannot juxtapose 
that with say supposing an open space is occupied by a slum settlement so then there is the, they don't have sympathy with the slum settlement or they don't talk about alternative housing they just say that you have to evict because they are quote unquote illegal encroachers and so on so it was but for the first time because the mill land issue was not only limited to the mill workers mill workers jobs but also to public spaces and housing it was that we managed to get people across the board on one platform and there was a public interest litigation filed in the court um, and we formed mumbai people's action committee where all these people we and i must say uh, ultimately you know overall if you see perhaps it's a lost battle but at least what we managed to do was we made people see each other's point of views so no more now environmentalists just say that oh you just you know um, erase the slums we don't want to see the slums in the city we don't want them you know they are going beyond that and talking about demands of alternative housing as well similarly the mill workers also have realized that the open spaces are equally important and not only their jobs so in a way there was a good interaction during that time next then we uh, so uh, you can see from the paper cuttings how this media also supported a lot during that time next and and in the high court gave a high court which is based in the city uh, gave a very i mean it was a historical judgment the high court said city requires open spaces the city requires public housing so we do not accept the change of rule by the government and that this rule should be again back to the proper one third but the mill uh, owners and the government went to the supreme court and the supreme court that is the apex court the federal court and that uh, supported the government just on this issue whether the government has a right to change the rule or not the supreme court did not go into the depth of the issue but it just was a very technical decision uh, which means now the city was you know given totally to the uh, uh, mill owners and the textile uh, uh, sorry the real estate developers so we feel that it is kind of it marks the you know uh, it it became a precedent of for the real estate boom in the city and somewhere it was kind of uh, realized by the real estate developers that they can you know they can just get whatever they want next so as i said it became a precedent for the city's future and in the guise of pro private sector reform the real estate industry as a whole was increasingly given a free hand in mumbai's land development next and this is how the this is in transition you see the chimney there the smoke stacks and but there are the, the fancy stores which are coming up there and uh, not an inch that has gone into any substantial productive employment it's mainly retail and uh, upper end housing next uh, as the mills are being pulled down they are not being replaced by modest housing but very niche kind of uh, thing for the you know the new service sector uh, people you know who are part of the you know global uh, financial market next next so we feel that gen- it certainly there is some kind of formula of gentrification there is a lot of redevelopment then uh, there is insecurity in amongst the people because there is a glaring difference between the new built forms and the existing neighborhood uh, environment 
and the people on one hand they have hopes they think that they can all they are also getting upgraded on the other hand there is insecurity because they don't know whether they will be you know we uh, will continue to live there the government has a legislation saying that the developer has to provide housing for the existing tenants or the existing people but as you can guess that once the price starts increasing it is the the pressure on the uh, people to sell and go away is very strong because uh, with no no uh, jobs there just keeping a house in a prime location does not work next this is how the area looks now next 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 Yes. So now the fight is for the last battle, which is remaining, which we are fighting right now, is whatever little open space which is which is to come to the city and which is to come for workers' housing, that is also not being handed over by the uh, developers. And the government is not showing political will to get it from the people, and therefore it, the workers again have to come on the street to demand whatever is legitimate share of theirs. You you can see that that only two out of twenty four mills have actually sur surrendered the land which was supposed to be surrendered. Next, yeah. So this is the uh, these are the issues which th are thrown up. That how much of the history and heritage do we keep, and how much is obsolete? What constitutes the imagination of urban India, and what constitutes vision Mumbai? Vision Mumbai is a term used by our government very often, as I told you, and their vision changes from one city to the other. Yeah, I think we will go to the next. Uh, I'm uh, now I'll really go very fast. This was, as I told you, uh, a formal sector, uh, legal employment. Uh, legal housing and these polarities of legal, illegal, um, you know, formal, informal have to be contested. But I'm just very broadly saying that we are talking about another area which is informal, which is uh, which which are, which supposed to be encroached upon. These are all very informal slum housing. But because now it happens to be very next to a most you know uh, most expensive financial sector. This Dharavi area, Dharavi slum, has got a lot of importance, and uh, uh, as as you saw, the mill lines are already you know under development, and here the plan is just being floated, and the bids are being floated. Uh, in spite of the fact that this is supposed to be uh, illegal and informal, um, the fate. For the mill district, the the residents of the mill district neighborhood and for this is the same, because. Their needs are not addressed in the new plan. Their needs of livelihood, their needs of housing are not addressed. Naharavi is a special case where you see a lot of manufacturing, informal manufacturing, home-based manufacturing happens in the households as well. So when you are thinking of replanning, redeveloping, it's very important that you don't think only as housing, but you have to think of their, you know, other activities as well. Because 80% of people in Naharavi actually work in Naharavi. And their livelihood depends on that, and they are all migrants coming from different parts of the city. Next, next. So here, if you see the map, the you see the mill lands. Say about five to seven kilometers away is Dharavi, and 500 meters from Dharavi is the Bandrakurla complex, which is the uh, you know the the prime uh, uh, financial district. 
and what you don't see at the left hand corner above yeah that is the new acz which is coming there which is you know there are some islands away from the coast yeah next this is how it looks today dharavi slums as i told you this asia's largest slum next and but just 500 meters away is this this is the bandrakurla complex next and the lower portion you see is dharavi and that is a totally marshy land which was reclaimed by the people as they came from different parts of the country and this is only 50 years old not like uh, textile industry which has a much longer history and beyond the creek in upper portion you see the marshy land still exists and beyond that is the bandrakurla complex the financial district next next yeah it has a very multicultural character unlike uh, the mill area people from potters came from one part then there were leather tanning industries one of the major industries of dharavi lot of uh, leather goods you see in new york or in chicago also probably are exported from that area and they are made in the you know a small settlements um, embroidery workers then um, different okay next basically just to show tell you next next yeah so if you see from here on the left hand side you see uh, uh, the total population 12 million population of uh, mumbai 54% live in slums but they occupy on the right hand side if you see they occupy only 6% of the area so 54% live on 6% of area next and then this is what you see is the is dharavi area on the right hand side you will see in terms of uh, the area next yeah next next yeah so there were various uh, uh, legislations i can only tell you just one important legislation there was a time when when our prime minister uh, rajiv gandhi had visited uh, in 1987 i think and that is the time he realized that the federal government needs to do something so he gave funds to uh, the maharashtra government the local government to improve the conditions and then the people it was really a, 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 a policy whereby people could participate in the sense the people had to come together uh, collect some minimum amount then go to the government government would act as catalyst and get uh, you know uh, the consultants or loan and that's how the walkable apartments were built so there was no developer involved there the the people contributed and later also repaid the um, uh, the loan but there was this new right wing government which came there suddenly announced a free housing policy and once any government allows a uh, or announces a free housing policy it's very difficult for any other government to uh, take it back so the free housing policy which means the the slum settlements would be given to the developer the developer builds uh, uh, gives free housing to the uh, residents but he gets the land rights and the land rights are multiplied to so it becomes a great incentive for the developer to build so the i personally feel that this free housing scheme doesn't work so much because what the uh, what the developer gets to sell is much more the developer will only choose the areas which are more lucrative in the market next next 
yeah next so now the policy is that you have to give 225 square feet per house and then the uh, the the developer can sell the remaining as high end housing in the market next if this is the existing land use and you see that lot of industrial uh, areas the the yellow are the residential areas and the magenta color is the uh, industry next these are again not big not like mills you won't even recognize that they are industries because they are done in the household or say potters who came from uh, uh, gujarat have a settlement where they have a large open space in between and then they have the, and the women and men come together work together and then the pots are sold outside so it is that kind of uh, very urban but yet operating at a very small scale um, uh, household level uh, so 80% of the people working in dharavi live in dharavi and therefore if any whenever you address it you have to address this issue of not just giving 225 square feet for housing but what what will happen to their uh, actually economic activity where is the space and if they are to be provided space in a tower then that this does not work so and if you give more uh, the government has said that this is now part of urban renewal scheme so the far is increased four folds which means you can build four times the site area if you build four times the site area which means you have to go vertical and if you have to go vertical then uh, the existing system of the <coughs> neighborhood <coughs> economic as well as social cultural will not work next so there are textile pottery leather printing presses and this is you know one of the uh, largest recycling uh, activities happen in dharavi of course it is unhygienic of course the environmental uh, there are environmental hazards but this this can be taken care of unfortunately what is given to the uh, the choice for the people is okay you live like this in bad condition or then give it to the developer and let it and then it can be just you know high rise development so there is no no other choice which is say in between next next so in terms of infrastructure it is very uh, uh, unlike the mill land which is extremely rich in the infrastructure in terms of educational institute hospitals uh, transport everything and uh, this is very uh, you know as you can see it's 10 times 15 times less than the normal next 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 yeah so it is unhygienic living conditions poor housing high density low lying area lack of social amenities next but the density existing density is very high and what uh, now next let's go to the bomb yeah next okay just go to the previous slide yeah if you see here uh, the population is upper different census things and what today the government has assumed is the third column and they have assumed that the households are 57000 let's assume 60000 but we have formed a group of professionals and experts and ex bureaucrats and continuously lobbying with the government and we have told them that look you cannot go ahead with real development unless there is a basic socio economic survey done basic uh, survey of what the people need and thirdly what is going to be the density 
Now it has come out, the government did agree with us and finally just one demand they agreed to make the, you know, do, to conduct a socio-economic survey. And the result of the socio-economic survey which is on, which actually is continuing now, is that instead of 60,000 households, there are 90,000 households as of now. Because they required, they calculate only the number of structure, they did not calculate how many families were living within the structure. Next. 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 So the possibilities here is, you know, that it can be an integrated development if the government really considers needs of all the stakeholders. It's a prime location, very close to Vandrakurla complex. It has a excellent connectivity and it has interdependence of industries. Next. Next. Now just go ahead. We will not go into this. This is one academic institution which came up with some alternatives. Next. Next. Yes. Now this is what is proposed by the government. Unfortunately, the only plan the government has is this, where the entire area is divided into 10 sectors. Unfortunately, these, these divisions don't even match the existing settlements. But these 10 sectors would be given to 10 developers. And each sector, and it is up to the developer to rehabilitate the people, it is up to the developer to provide infrastructure, it is up to the developer to decide the density, and it's up to the developer to decide the norms for the infrastructure. Whereas our demand is that the state government should decide the guidelines for the uh, developer. It cannot be left to the government, uh, to the develop, private developer to develop the way, uh, you know, they want to. And especially if the foreign uh, real estate developers are going to come here, they are not going to be familiar with the complexities of these areas. And it is very important that government decides how much open space, how many roads, how many schools, how many hospitals, and then probably the built form could be decided by the uh, developer. Next. Next. So what the media projects, they, the government has now become very market savvy, very, you know, their public relation is improving a lot. So what you see here are some images taken from somewhere in the world or from the net. And so they are showing that, look, Dharavi, what you see at the bottom with the, all those uh, shanties are going to be transformed into, you know, upper elevated walkways, big shopping malls and things like that. So. We are termed as activists, and today activist is, has become a phrase which, uh, you know, which, which means that you are, you, you are very negative, you are anti-development, you don't want anything good to happen. So if this good is to happen, then you have to support the government. And then on the right, there is a list of people, you know, uh, the media has published who have visited uh, the Dharavi recently, it includes Madonna and Prince Charles and UN people and whatnot, you know, so that that list is also given there. Next. Yeah, I think we will stop here. This is um, just gave you a background of two uh, areas which are getting transformed. This, as I told you, the bits are just floated out of 19. There will be 10 uh, developers who will be selected. And the conditions were so stringent that it was very difficult for the Indian uh, developer to, you know, take uh, uh, part on his own. So they are most of them have collaborated with some foreign uh, developers or here. Uh, the third part I don't have any presentation, but just I was talking about this special economic zone. 
which is not even in the planning stage which is just a proposal mooted by the owner of a big entertainment complex which happens near that island to have a big entertainment zone around that area which has cluster of small settlements fisher folks mainly catholics and it was and they are not poor at all they have not lost their jobs the fishing activity is quite lucrative they have their own trawlers they have their own boats and this is suddenly the the uh, the the owner of this entertainment complex has convinced the government that okay let's be partners and we have a big entertainment zone with large uh, you know water parks and you you know what all and uh, this is when now the people are suddenly realizing that this is the onslaught and they have come together why i mentioned the most of them are catholics that the church is playing a very important and positive role here mobilizing the people against this proposal and the last week's news is that i have i have visited there and i realized the you know the people are very very upset that all these kind of things are done without their knowledge there is no transparency and <clears throat> they have they had a massive march of 10000 people and finally the the owner had to accept that uh, he said well i am withdrawing right now but i have hopes that i will convince all of you how beneficial this uh, economic zone is going to be for you guys so the things uh, rested that i think i'll stop here probably we can open the